players gather to cast powerful spells. Some of the oldest and most powerful in the history of Magic the Gathering. Lotus Petal, Force of Negation, Wasteland, and many others. Battling head-to-head in brutal combat, they all have one thing in common. To uphold their legacy and the search for eternal glory. The Eternal Glory Podcast is brought to you by the minds behind Bosch and Roll on YouTube, Thurabian University, and TheEpicStorm.com. This episode is sponsored by Eminence Gaming. Hello and welcome to episode 100 of the Eternal Glory Podcast, The Importance of the Gathering and Orcish Bowmasters. As always, I'm Phil Gallagher, a.k.a. Thraben Yu, joined by... Brian Koval, a.k.a. Bosch and Roll. And Brian Cook of the Epic Storm. All right, we've already recorded 30 minutes of introductions and banter for the week available in our supporter-exclusive pre-show. Check out patreon.com slash eternalglory to gain access or join as a YouTube member for the same content on YouTube instead. And you can find out why Bryant Cook over there sounds a little bit funny tonight. Yep, great mysteries will be revealed. Shout out to our new paid subscribers, Potato David 1987. Shout out to Potato David. Yef D. Tudge. I don't know if this word is meant to be said out loud, but that's their username. And Thalia Grixis Woman. Shout out to those new people. And while we're shouting people out, I would like to do a call to the rest of you who enjoy the show. Our Patreon is there. That's how we support the show. YouTube memberships there. That's how we support the show. We used to ask for donations and make a call every episode and operate on a donation basis. And now it's a little more formal than that. But we do still need support because if this doesn't make sense, we just won't do it anymore. We're all busy people. So please, please, please. Check out patreon.com slash eternal glory or go to our YouTube and join us a member to keep us doing our thing here. We appreciate all of you. And we have to pay our editor. Thanks, Phil. You do great work. Speaking of paying our editor, if you're interested in running an event or want your local game store to do so, but are worried about the logistics of it, check out Eminence Gaming's Command Tower software. You can create and manage four player or 1v1 tournaments easily, and its unique pairing system ensures you don't get paired against the same players multiple times. Visit eminence.events for details. So we're going we're gonna to start episode 100 here, which is kind of a big marker for a podcast, by talking about the impact of magic and the legacy on our lives. For all of us, content creation is at least a part-time job at this point, and it's consumed 10, 15, 20, question mark, years or more of our lives. And... Uh, we want to we wanna get a little bit of personal, dig into some uh, some feelings, some wonderful anecdotes, and what magic means to us. Yeah, I'm in the 27-year uh, club out of magic's 30 years of existing, so been here a very long time, impacting my life. I have told this anecdote on the pod before, but just talking to some friends, we were trying to figure out like who the most influential people in our lives were, and outside of our parents, most of us came up with Richard Garfield and Mark Rosewater. In our top five, I got to meet Mark Rosewater finally after all these years at MagicCon Philly earlier this year. And I told him that story and he appeared very happy to hear it, like uh, like ponderously happy, like no one had phrased it quite like that before. And 
then he insisted we get a selfie together, even though I didn't ask. So I think he liked hearing that. And I do genuinely believe it. And being that the three of us, like you said, Phil, now make part or all of our living talking about Magic the Gathering. Uh, obviously, it's been an impact on all of us. So I, I think I'll start off here. Um, I don't know how many times I've just kind of like publicly stated this, but I, I've moved a lot. I haven't stayed in the same place for very long. Uh, I've done my journey from Illinois to Iowa, back to Illinois, to Maryland, to Virginia. I moved around three or four times within the same city while living in Virginia, and now I'm in North Carolina. So I, I haven't stayed in the same place for very long, and like I, I, th I think I'm settled for a good number of years now. When you move across the, the country like that and you keep constantly relocating, like you, you don't know people. You don't have friends. And when you're in college, like it's real easy to just find people to hang out with. But, you know, as an adult, you know, as a 30 something year old, like, how do you go and meet friends? Well, the answer for me was I'm going to go to whatever weekly magic event they have. And that's how I made friends in all of these new places. And I don't want to say, like, if it weren't for magic, I never would have made any friends. But one of the things that I think about the most that had just a profound impact on my life is I played a Thursday night legacy weekly. I met a guy, his name's Kerry, uh, one of my best friends in the world, and I mentioned like, yeah, I'm kind of thinking about going to Richmond this weekend to play in a magic event. And he's like, hey, do you want to carpool and get a hotel and just like do it? And I had, I had known this guy for two hours. Like we had played one game of magic together and we had chatted between rounds and it was like, fuck yeah, I do. And now this guy is someone who has helped me build Thraben University, the website side of things. And like he visited my my home and stayed overnight last week. And like that's the sort of thing that happened because I knew how to play this card game. Yeah, I'm going to co-sign everything you said. I haven't moved quite as many times as you, but I had some moves during extremely formative years. I moved in the summer between 10th and 11th grade. Like high school is a very is a time where you want stability, like you're about to figure out like what your steps into adulthood are going to be, all your friends from school, uh, people are going through all their awkward phases and whatever it is, and being 15 going on 16 and just like, guess what? You live in a new state now because dad got a new job uh, can be quite the, the shakeup. Magic the Gathering and shout out my other hobby, punk rock. Uh, I immediately found my people very quickly just because I dressed a certain way. The, uh, the punks and metalheads were like, hey, I think we might get along and then showing up at game stores and uh, just seeing people playing magic in the library or whatever, walking up to them, just immediate friend groups or at least acquaintance groups from which I could sniff out the, the actual friends from in a new space at a very important time to not be alone in the world. So shout out to Magic the Gathering for that. And then stepping into adulthood right out of college, I moved to Pittsburgh where I've been for a decade now. It seems crazy to say that. Actually, longer, I think 12, 13 years. I've been here a long time now and moved to a city where I didn't know anybody. And I just posted on Facebook, where do people play magic? I was told Tuesday nights at Carnegie Mellon University. And I showed up and sitting around the table were uh, Richard Shea, Dr. Rich Shea, who I knew from magic articles and stuff. It's like, oh my God, Rich Shea's here. And Chris Stagno, a person who I knew uh, peripherally from judging magic tournaments. He was also a level two judge. I'd seen him around. 
Uh, Steve Rubin was there, who was just a 17-year-old child at the time, not the Pro Tour champion and lead designer of Runeterra, who he is now. And just uh, Andrew Cuneo was in the room. I'm like, I know you from Pro Tour coverage. And all these people, several of which I had heard of in like kind of pseudo-celebrity status. And they were just like, oh, great, we need a six for draft. Sit down. And immediately in with all of them. You hear about you know making friends as an adult is hard. I have seen some of my partners and some of my non-magical friends go through that where like they just want to do something but don't really know who to call or where to go and uh, it's tough like there's like two people that they could call and they're both busy now what do I do what do I do you know I I don't even try that hard and I probably have 30 40 people I could send a Facebook message to and see if they want to hang out right now and some of them would say yes that's as an adult and it's really nice and I'll cede the mic to Bryant in a second here but when you said you met this guy and then hours later you had planned a trip together. Uh, it reminded me of one of my first trips. Uh, after I moved to Pittsburgh, I met Bill Senaway, who is probably not a name a lot of people heard, but he had some pro tour appearances in the early 2010s. And we met at CMU draft and he was like, oh yeah, Star City Columbus is coming up. I have a car going. I'm splitting a hotel room with some people if you want to get in. So Bill and I, we did a road trip like Phil just said. And then when we got to the hotel room, there was another guy there named Ron Rogers, who I still know to this day, who I had never met before. And Bill was basically like, there's three of us and there's two beds. Let's flip a coin. And uh, I lost the coin flip. And I was like, it's nice to meet you, Ron. And then we shared a bed. (laughs) And that's just like a perfectly normal and thing that happens in this community. And uh, I love it. Unlike the two of you, I didn't move a whole lot. Uh, I moved to Syracuse when I was in like third grade and I've been in the area pretty much ever since. But when I was 10, my parents were like, you know, you like this card game. Maybe you should go to this game store. And they just literally dropped me off. I had no, no one there. They're like, here's $10. You can like buy drinks or whatever. And I ended up signing up for a legacy event. It's weird, but I didn't know this going in. Legacy was just like Syracuse, New York was one of the few hotbeds in the entire country for Legacy because MTG, the source, was partially founded here. It was founded by a guy in Albany, a guy in Syracuse, and somebody in Portland. When I walked in, they're just like, yeah, we have this tournament you should play. And I got absolutely demolished, but I loved it. And as a 10-year-old, I was one of the youngest people there, but I quickly became very good friends with a lot of the older guys there. These guys were 16, 18, and they just looked at me like a little brother for the next few years while I figured out how to play Magic in. They taught me a lot of like my uh, values, I should say. Like As an impressionable kid, I think they got uh, the idea that maybe my parents weren't uh, the best influence on me as a young person. Like They were... You know, I'm not going to bash my parents here, but we don't have a great working relationship. And they sort of were like, hey, you shouldn't say that sort of thing, or this is how you should do things. And they really just like guided me through life. And uh, I wouldn't be the person I am today if it wasn't for them. So uh, thank you to a bunch of those people. Uh, I'm not going to name all of you, but you know who you are. So uh, it just... It did a lot to shape who I am today. And a lot of people ask me like, hey, Bryant, why do you use Japanese foils? Out of the three of us, I think it's safe to say that Phil is the weeb of the group. Uh, I'm not really into like Japanese culture or anything, but I love Japanese foils. And most of it is to pay respects to the people before me. A lot of the people that taught me, you know, those better values and all that stuff, like they were really into it. And I sort of just decided at some point to carry on the tradition after they had quit magic. Uh, not necessarily the best like financial choice, but it makes me happy and it makes me think of them. So I uh, just wanted to share that. That's great. 
And I, since you said like not the best financial choice, uh, that made me think of one of the things that I wanted to talk about here, which is financial stability that magic has provided to me in my life is it's kind of weirdly backwards because on the one hand, magic's an expensive hobby. It's a luxury hobby. It's not for everyone uh, even today, like reserve lists versus proxy discourse is a big part of the culture. At the same time, like an 11 year old kid opening a mind slaver in a pack of Mirrodin or whatever, which was a $10 card at the time. Like that's a $10 bill in your pocket in a lot of ways, at least like a $5 bill if you flip into the store. So having decks of magic cards, it if it didn't provide liquid cash, which it has here and there in my life, it at least provided knowing that you have some sort of nest egg. When I was in college, I judged all over the place. I was a very active level two judge in the the country and out of the country on some occasions. I used my judge comp to build a vintage deck. I assembled all my power. I foiled out the perfect storm for vintage and I just had this foiled out vintage deck. I had started to build out my legacy collection, had duels and all that stuff. And then I got shot out of the college cannon into the post 2008 housing market collapse economy of the United States. And with my college degree and my tens of thousands of dollars in debt, I got a job making $21,000 a year. And you're both nodding. We are of the same age. And uh, the people older than us were like, yeah, just why didn't you buy a house by the time you were 23? It's like, because those are very expensive and I have no money. And that was just the state of the world at the time. And there were times where I was like eating ramen noodles or saltine crackers with peanut butter on them for three of my meals a day. Uh, I had a job working at a school where staff could eat in the school cafeteria for free on the clock. So I did a lot of that, uh, just sort of like making it work hand to mouth uh, day by day, trying to figure out how to make more money and be a stable human being in the world. Through all of that, I owned a foiled out vintage deck and dual lands. And I just knew like if I need to hit the eject button, I have like five or 10 grand and could survive, which created this bubble where I did not have the existential dread that I would have had if I was in the same position without owning my magic collection. And it just provided this level of comfort where I don't need to freak out. I got this. I'm going to try to make it work without selling off my possessions, but I do actually have quite a lot here ready to go if I need it. I think it's easy to like look at our success now and be like, man, it's always been like this for you all. And the 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 answer is just like, no, it hasn't. I was scraping by on a teacher's salary while trying to like live alone by myself. And that didn't work out super well. And at one point, I actually offloaded most of my legacy collection. I don't really talk about this publicly a lot, but I was close to having 4X legacy minus some of the crazy stuff like tabernacles and some of the old black enchantments and stuff. And then my car literally rusted apart because like I had just been driving it into the dirt and it had been like on Illinois salt roads for a long time buried in snow. And I offloaded very large portion of my collection so that I could physically buy a car without magic. I would have been in kind of a tough spot because I went from my car is fine and in perfect working order to doing a state inspection and then they were like yeah you've rusted through the bottom this is not drivable and it's not fixable and i was like oh fuck i remember i might have been sophomore in college i was like pretty young but like starting to step into adulthood and i i have never gotten into partying like drinking drugs anything like that uh, that's just not how i have fun i don't 
you know, drink to this day. I've never been high. I've never been drunk. And I don't really, I'm not really interested in that experience. I remember like being in class one morning and this group of like frat bros in the back were like, bro, I'm still so messed up from the weekend. Oh, I think I spent like 550 at the bar. Like, and I was like $550 at a bar. What? what is this life? And then like one of them was like, yeah, I was in for like 300 myself. I just kept buying rounds for everyone. I was trying to get this girl to like me, this and that. And I'm like, what the hell? And then I like debriefed that experience with my magic friends later. And they were like, yeah, we bought a legacy decks instead. That's their entertainment budget. This is ours. Knowing now in my mid thirties that 20 year old me was buying tropical islands instead of rounds for everyone at the bar. It, it's just, it's coming back big. So one thing I would like to, I'm going to share a personal thing, but also just point out another very appropriate thing. So Brian talked about having a foiled out vintage deck. You might be listening to this in the year 2023 and going like, oh, so you just had a hundred thousand dollars laying around. That's not quite how it was like a foiled out vintage deck in 2008 might've been $7,000. Like there's been a large inflation gap in which the difference in prices are now. Uh, so I would just like to point that out. But like Brian, I went through college owning the Epic Storm completely Japanese foil. It made me very happy. But a lot of people hear that I own Japanese foils and they're like, oh, Brian comes from money. Uh, my father drove milk trucks and my mom was a bus driver. They didn't exactly give me a whole lot. And what happened was at a very young age, I talked about starting playing magic when I was 10. By the time I was 12, I was pretty darn good. Like I was like one of the better players in our game store. And whenever I won things, I would get myself something I wanted and then it was mine. Like I just wouldn't get rid of it. So it was something like, oh, I would get dual lands or whatever. And eventually when I decided to make the jump to Japanese foils, I, they, I was just like, these are mine forever. And I will sell other stuff that I might have that's extra to pay for the next event or when i was 16 i started working at wendy's and i would get 80 dollars to 100 dollars a week and i'd be like okay so japanese foil brainstorms on ebay right now are 45 dollars so i will buy a japanese foil brainstorm and then the rest will pay for everything else for the week and that is just what i did granted japanese foil brainstorms now are much more expensive but I would skate by knowing that like, I was like, okay, I can spend half of this on magic or whatever. And I was just like, this is how I'm going to do what I want. It probably wasn't the best thing to do. Like I probably could have used that full 100, but I invested in magic and then I, like it just paid out in the long run, luckily. But by the time I got to college, I was like, if I had to, I could sell a bunch of this stuff. But instead, by the time I graduated college, I only owned the Epic Storm because I sold literally everything else to get through. Like, I didn't work through college. I don't know if Brian did, but I was like, I want to enjoy my four years while I'm here. So by the time I was done, I might have owned 100 cards, but it was all cards that meant a lot to me at that time because I knew that this is what I wanted to do within the game. So I worked for one full year and then took a break and then one summer uh, and if you look at my college transcripts, you can tell which of the times I was working and which times I wasn't. Like it actually seriously affected my my performance in school. But outside of actual like cooking at a restaurant, which is what I did, I also had some little magic hustles on the side where I would buy a box of whatever the new set was from you know, Star City. I think boxes were like 80 bucks at the time. And you get 36 packs in your box. And then I would just fire a tournament locally, 
$3 entry pack per person in the prize pool. And people liked it because it was just something to do on a Saturday or a Tuesday night or whatever. I would play in my tournaments, so there would be some amount of house rake where I win back some of my own packs. And just $3 per person pack per entry, you end up with like 110 bucks at the end of the box. I'm plus 30 bucks on the box. I would buy another box and then like a set of FBB Japanese lightning bolts. And then my SCG order would be like the new box and these lightning bolts. And I would just like wash it and send it back around again. And, you know, plus 30 bucks every week or two. And as I was just fire these little tournaments and that was a grind that I had during that time. And now those lightning bolts, I remember this specifically because that was like this, the year that I realized FBB was a thing that existed. I didn't even know it did exist. And I remember getting lightning bolts, birds of paradise, swords to plowshares, just all the staples in FBB. And all of those are genuinely expensive now. And at the time it was just, you know, you could get a playset for under 30 bucks because that was the margin I was working with. I think one of my favorite things about like my exposure to magic, like long time, like on a period of like 10 plus years is that in addition to just like inserting yourself into an existing community, you also can have your chance to like carve your own place in the community and create like a home or resource for other people. Bryant made his website, which directly inspired Thraben University. Like, I, I looked at his stuff and I went, I know enough that I could do this for my own community. And I'm tired of answering the same, like, Flicker Wisp is bad. Why are we playing Flicker Wisp question? Like, I just want to make things that I can just give to other people and be like, this is why. And like, not just in terms of building websites, but also in terms of building communities. Uh, Brian and I both have incredibly active Discord servers that I'd be happy to talk about more. Um, I've been a part of massive undertakings like the Legacy Premier League that got people hyped up and excited. And like, I'm very happy that like I, as a content creator, can do things that make other people happy. Uh, and just being like Brian mentioned, these slightly older people took him under their wing and really taught him how to you know be a better person in the world. And I had that, too. And I have then flipped and been in the position to be that for a number of people since then. I'm older now. I have this YouTube channel, this podcast. Uh, some people are like nervous to talk to me, which still is weird to me. Like, please don't be. I'm just a gamer. I, I just like some nerd with a microphone. Uh, I'm not I'm not Keanu Reeves. I get like somebody's I'll, I'll still post in just public pace, Pittsburgh Facebook groups just like. I'm going to SCG Richmond, anyone interested, and I will fill my car with two or three completely random people. Some of them are college kids who they're like, oh, uh, I would like to go, but I can't get to your house from my campus because I don't have a car. It's like, well, I'll pick you up or I'll arrange someone who's coming through town to grab you. That's not a big deal. And just on the road with some 19 year old kid, I don't know, helping that out. And then also just like being the the change or being the the voice of reason to help people change. Like when I was 17, 18, 19, I said a lot of words that I now regret saying. Uh, they were just kind of in the lexicon at the time. Also just a toxically surrounded white boy in America. Uh, like many things that would be considered slurs or at least in bad taste at this point. And I learned you should not say those words in mixed company or really at all in in most cases. And now that I know that, I have spent the last 15 years or so, like 
if I hear that at the LGS, I'm like, bro, not a cool word to say. And people are like, oh, yeah, my bad. And a lot of the times it's not like people's hearts are full of hate. My heart has never been full of hate, but I've said a lot of stupid words and showing that the younger people that don't say that and someone they look up to tells you not to say that, uh, that goes a long way. And it doesn't take much to inspire people. Um, I'm, I'm going to leave their name off of this, but I, w- I was a guest on a small channel. We were doing a cube draft and uh, the, the people I was working with were like, uh, yeah, what do you think he has in hand? And I, and I just kind of paused for a second. I'm like, do you know your, do you know your opponent? Do you know they're a dude? And they just like paused, thought about it for a second. And then we're like, oh, shit, I just learned something like, thank you. Like, we're, we're going to be better about that. There's a lot of opportunity to just like take these little little nudges for people and get them to do these just like tiny things that are going to make someone else's experience in magic better and like as i grow as a content creator and more people have eyes on my stuff i try to i try to take those opportunities when i can just like pay pay it forward be good to people make the space more welcoming for people for sure feels good right yeah and i can remember a specific moment uh i was judging an event i was probably 19 years old i made a joke i was actually just repeating a meme that i saw remember the the old courage wolf meme there there was a spinoff called insanity wolf which said inspiring things but they were all crazy i repeated one that should not have been repeated and it's it was a joke that all my friends found very funny immediately the two people i was speaking to one turned his back and walked away from me and the other looked at me and said that is not funny and in that moment i felt like extreme flare-up of anger eclipsed by shame eclipsed by they are completely right and that was like a watershed life-changing moment for me realizing that like oh this this subject is actually not funny and it's not that these people need to grow a sense of humor it's that me and my friends are idiots to change the topic slightly we've all talked about going back to the game store and meeting people i think well at least for me personally I've lived in Syracuse for a very long time at this point, and I've been a part of the community. I've never quit Magic. Ever since I was 10, I've been going to the game store this entire time period. I'm now a 34-year-old guy. So 24 years, I've been going to local game stores. But one thing I've noticed is when I was younger, I had a tight-knit group of friends that I would see, and it would be great. And as I've gotten older, people have moved away. And the people have gotten younger and younger. I've done my part, like Brian mentioned, being like, hey, maybe you shouldn't say that that, that's cancer. That's not a that's not a fun thing to say. In fact, like it's pretty hurtful. You know, you never know whose mom just had cancer or whatever. And sometimes you'll make comments like that. But I've noticed that like I see younger groups forming and the people that I am genuinely happy to see at game stores. Those people are few and far between. Not that I don't like these people, but they're not the group that I played with when I was younger. And there's like, it's more acquaintances than anything now. And I felt like my love for the local game store has gotten smaller and smaller. COVID and the pandemic certainly didn't help that. But it's not the fault of the game store. It's more directly me and not having that friend group or those familiar faces that I once had. And it's something that I've battled with the last few years. And that's okay. Like, I'm not like trying to change anything it's just like life has changed the experience has changed and uh i'm coping with it yep and that that just comes with the the age and responsibility like our mutual friend matt sperling recently announced that his second child's on the way and even though he's qualified for the next few pro tours he will not be participating in them that's a person who is on the cusp of a hall of fame resume like probably one pro tour top eight away from I guess the Hall of Fame is kind of defunct at this point, but he's he's right there knocking at the door of 
eternal greatness in Magic the Gathering. And he's just like, nope, I have a family now. See you later, everybody. That's fine. I, and I've noticed many of the people I've met through this game, have that sort of pause button on friendship that I really appreciate and is kind of required here, where it's like, like I mentioned in the pre-show, uh, and I, I said his name when I moved to Pittsburgh, Chris Dagno, one of my, my best friends uh, in the world. He moved to Las Vegas last year. He lives in Vegas. Like, I obviously don't see him. I'm in Pittsburgh. And we're on a group text and stuff where we like send each other Marvel Snap screenshots, and he's mostly out of magic at this point. But we don't hang out two or three times a week like we used to. When I I know that when I see him, it will immediately be like, Nobody ever left, and we're all just right where we left off. And I have dozens, scores of friends, maybe hundreds of friends around the world who it's like that for. Uh, I know that you know, I lived in England for a while in college. I studied abroad, and I know my core group of gamer friends from England, who I have most of whom I have not seen since I left England in 2010. If I hop off the plane, it'll immediately be just like breaking each other's balls and picking up where we left off, like like we've been there the whole time, and. I appreciate that about this community because I have had some other friends where it's like I graduated from college, moved out of town. I didn't respond to a couple text messages right away. And then it's like, I'm feeling left out here and I don't know if we could keep being friends. I'm just like, oh, damn, really? Okay, bye, I guess. Uh, I, I genuinely can't be that same level of friend I was when we lived five minutes away from each other now that I'm across the state. So if this isn't going to work for you, I guess it was nice knowing you. Doesn't doesn't work for me. But I love that that pause unpause thing that a lot of gamer friends can do. I think it's also worth mentioning that like there are also some darker times associated with like obsession with magic. Um, like I have probably ruined some like romantic relationships by like obsessing over magic too much, by traveling out of town too much, by like having to do my two local tournaments over the weekend rather than spending time with my girlfriend and like current phil is working very hard on like maintaining good like personal life versus gaming balance past phil didn't always do that as well i i don't regret my time with magic as a whole because it has been wonderful and has opened so many doors but i definitely regret being on the wrong side of life balance with the game at times uh and if you find yourself in that position um, James, the guy who uh, runs the Humans of Magic podcast, has a pretty good book about it. I think it's called like Magic the Addiction or or something like that, that uh, may be worth looking into if you find yourself uh, struggling with that balance. Yeah, I will jump on that point as well. I wasn't really planning on talking about this, but now that it's in my head, I have much to say. Uh, there's actually an article I hope you could still find it in the, the current upheaval of the Magic Archives, but it was written by Aaron Forsyth's wife for Star City Games, where she talked in retrospect, like five years removed, about being the girlfriend of someone on the Magic Pro Tour, about their time when they were in college in Pittsburgh together, and what it was like for her, and what it was like for her talking to the other uh, girlfriends of the other gamers, and all of that, and then now, like, looking back as a stable married couple, looking back at her time during that time and what that did to her, uh, that does exist. If you want to go find it, it's very good. And I've experienced some of that in a variety of ways. I actually quit judging because I realized I was just, 
I was in my first serious relationship in a very long time, and I was on my way to judge some Grand Prix or something and realized, I don't want to do this. I'm not having fun, and I would rather spend this weekend with my girlfriend, and what am I even doing? And then I just never judged another regional event after that. It was just done. Um, I've also done the opposite, where I was seeing a girl in college, and I just mentioned, like, oh, the Magic Pro Tours this weekend. I'm looking forward to coverage. And she was like, what's the Magic Pro Tour? And I told her what it was, and she just was, like, beside herself laughing. She's like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. And I broke up with her on the spot. I was just like, okay, well, if that's what you think, fuck you. And I was gone. And uh, that's, I've gone that way too. And I stand by that decision to this day. Like, I, I don't know that it would have gone very far with someone who believes the Magic Pro Tour is, air quotes, the stupidest thing they've ever heard. So uh, goodbye to you. And I've also experienced a lot of jealousy from partners about Magic the Gathering. And I kind of just sort of float out there early. I've been with Magic for 27 years. I just met you. This is not a fight you want to get into. Like, I, I will find the balance for us, but don't ask me to quit this game. Don't ask me to sell my cards. Don't. Just, like, don't go down that road, and we'll be okay. And uh, my current partner is an equestrian. Uh, she rides horses, so she knows all about stupid hobbies that cost a lot of money and take a lot of time. And it's a great match for that reason. And I stay out of her horse business, and she stays out of my magic business, and we are very happy uh, outside outside of our little islands and it's great in college one thing well actually let's rewind in high school i dealt with a lot of nerd shame i felt guilty that i played magic because like the cooler people didn't but it's who i was and i had tried to share you know i'm really into magic or whatever with a few ladies of my life and was just sort of ridiculed and by the time i got to college i kept it to myself. Like my roommates knew that I played, but like, I didn't really talk about it much, even though I was heavily invested. And at some point I met this young woman and I decided that I wasn't going to tell her about it. I liked her too much and she just didn't need to know. So six months into dating, things are going very well. And one night she gets drunk and starts Googling all of her friends and she Googles me and she's like, holy shit. It was just pages upon pages of SCG results, MTG the source, deck list photos, everything you could think of. She calls me. She's like, you didn't tell me about this? And I was like, nah, I didn't really think it was worth mentioning. And she's just like, really? So she was so dumbfounded that she told her parents. And they were just like, you have to dump this guy. He's clearly a loser. Uh, they're like, you have no future with a guy who spends all of his time playing with cardboard. He's not going to be able to provide for you or your family. And after a while, she just believed them. She's like, yeah, we don't have a future here. I'm going to end this. And I was just like, what? And she's just like, yeah, it's not over you lying to me. And I can see it being a lie, uh, more of an admission, but it's definitely a little bit of a lie. But she's just like, yeah, I can't see myself having a future with you when you have this hobby. So uh, I think long term, Bryant, looking back, super glad that relationship ended. Uh, but also, like, just don't be ashamed of who you are. Like, when I met my wife, it was like literally one of the first things I told her on RDA. I'm like, I'm a gigantic nerd. I play Magic the Gathering. And it just felt so much better to be open and honest. So 
that is my recommendation if you're out there battling with that yourself. Patrick Chapin was a huge influence on me when I was in that 18 to 22 college range. That was when he was extremely prolific as a magic personality, writer, video person, etc. Chapin, he has kind of a seedy past that you're welcome to Google if you want. Uh, don't idolize everything he's ever done, but he's certainly a confident successful human being in the world who has no shame whatsoever about the fact that he's a huge nerd and magic gathering player and he conveyed a lot of that in his content and i just got into like rather than like yeah i have this kind of nerdy hobby it's it's like cards and stuff like i just i flipped that too yeah i play magic gathering it's a big part of my life and my social circles and i travel a lot for it and stuff you know just right off the bat it, it has skipped that hole, hide it under the rock, because the person who thinks you are incompatible because you have this hobby is not a person you want to be with anyway. So last night I had some some friends over and they had some friends in town. I didn't know these people, but I was like, yeah, if they're friends of yours, they're friends of mine. I invited them in. One of them looks at my living room table, sees two sets of Phyrexian coasters and is like, oh, I started playing Magic a couple months ago. Like, this is kind of cool. And I was like, oh, if you think that's cool. And then I, like, brought them into my office, gave them a set of my custom tokens, like, showed them the streaming setup. And they were just like, this is the coolest fucking thing I've ever seen. And if you if you are proud of who you are and the things you're doing and you don't try to hide it, like, you will find more people who are interested in, if not the exact same thing you are, the same sorts of things you are, and, like, you will you will vibe with them really well and like we hit it off and like we we had a great night just chilling and chatting about us or nerdy things because like i was just comfortable with using that as a, as an icebreaker yeah and i feel like i told this story very recently i hope it wasn't on the pod sorry to repeat myself if it was but when i resigned my professional job last year to be a full-time magic the gathering youtuber i worked with a dozen different families at the time plus my main office of my company so i basically had to resign 13 times i had to tell each of these groups that i was leaving and then answer the question oh where do, where are you going what are you doing 13 times and every time i was like really concerned about saying that i was leaving this you know, professional position i mean highly regarded making good money i was very good at my job uh, and to go make a gaming youtube channel 100 percent of people i told that to were like that is awesome i love youtube i love uh, i love gaming or some variation thereof uh one person uh, a mom like a late 40s mom was like oh you're gonna be a content creator like she even knew that vernacular and these were all kinds of people like uh, some better off people, some not so well off people. One one of my families were Indian immigrants. Uh, I worked with a bunch of uh, folks of different colors and, and economic status. And to a person, they were all like, oh, that's awesome. YouTube rules. Gaming is fun. And not a single one gave me like a sideways look or a sneer or like a, oh, really? It just didn't happen. That That gave me a lot of confidence in the decision I was making. Reminds me a lot of, uh, since we've talked about college a number of times in this episode, like you would find out what people's major was and you'd be like, oh, uh, good luck with nutrition management or whatever you may so choose. And uh, I think 
a lot times have changed especially in the year 2023 where being a content creator it's something you see in your twitter feed every single day like as long as you use these apps uh it's a part of your daily life and i think it's just a lot more manageable now than if you had told people 20 years ago that you want to be a social personality yeah the the thing about that though like you you scroll through your twitter feed you see all of these content creators but what maybe isn't visible is for every content creator who has 5,000 followers or whatever, there's a lot of people who are streaming to an audience of their, like, two friends and who are, you know, struggling with growth, deciding whether or not this is a thing for them, you know, having anxiety about, like, whether or not it is it is worth their time. You know, there are a lot of people in very different places in content creation and some of those get get real dark and i i I don't know that i want to like delve into that uh towards the tail end of this episode here but like there there were a lot of times in my content creation career where i like thought about giving it up to like reclaim my free time or wondered whether or not it was worth it then i went to like my next gp or whatever and some some random dude i I don't i don't remember his name i remember exactly what the entire scenery around me looked like i remember what they were wearing they like came up to me and they're like hey are you phil gallagher and i'm like yeah i am like will will you sign my thalias like i i've learned so much from your content like i top aided a bunch of my locals like following your deck list and like every time i had one of those moments where someone told me like you are a critical portion of my life. I fall asleep to your videos. You're my lunch break every day. Like, I learned a lot about being a better person from watching you. Like, I've changed my language to this, like, because of my content. Those fill me with the biggest possible, like, warm and fuzzies and, like, just rekindle all of my energy. Yeah, and we're not advocating that everyone should be a content creator. In fact, quite the opposite. Like, if you want to do that, do it. If you're not willing to stream to two people don't do it because that's where you're going to be for a long time but uh yeah like like phil said uh there's a lot of folks who go unnoticed in the space even though they're working hard i get follows on twitter all the time i i do click on most people who follow me just to see who they are and what they're about and i'll get followed by like i'm making this name up don't look for them (laughs) like the magic gamesmanship podcast or something and they have this really official looking commissioned art as their uh user image on twitter and i click on it and it's like two followers and their pod gets like seven listens and they crank it out every week and they're on episode 35 and i'm like damn that's a lot of work or not a lot of recognition count all of my lucky stars that mine has gone on the trajectory it has because there was a time that i was gonna quit there were times that i had to completely change up uh all of that when I started streaming on Twitch, which was many years ago on Twitch, not even on YouTube yet, I immediately felt the tension of like holding the Twitch streaming schedule like three nights a week. And I would come home from work, say basically goodbye to my girlfriend who lived with me and just go into my office for five or six hours. And that circles back to like the balancing whatever your relationship with magic is with your relationship with the human beings in your life uh, that that was really tough on me to have to do it like that. And somehow here we are four and a half, five years later, whatever it's been and balancing it successfully as a job. 
So <laughs> survivorship bias uh, is here, but I'm going to avoid that until everybody be careful with that. So one thing I'd like to point out is that all three of us had periods of time in which we did this for next to no one. So Brian, for example, on the homepage of your, uh, of your YouTube channel right now, there is a video with 376 views. This was three years ago. You're now pushing a bad video for you is 10,000 views in the first 24 hours. That's a long way to, to go. I have videos on my channel of me playing modern gift storm in 2018 that are still uh, like 57 views. Um, those videos exist. You're like, all at some point, everyone who does this creates content for a small number of people. And then you grow Phil, uh, I'm sure you've written articles or videos or whatever of people that 30, 50 people, like we've all been there. And I think you have to do it for yourself mostly. And then eventually you will get some recognition. Will you be the next Brian Koval? Odds are no, but you might find something that makes you happy. You could, I don't know. You could do better than me. I'm not that great. But there's a lot of place, places where you can find your niche. That's what I'm trying to say here is, but you have to put in the effort and ultimately you can't do it for the view count or the number because ultimately that's out of your control. You just have to manage what you do control. And that's the content you create and, you know, the joy it brings you. I remember streaming to sub 10 people. I I remember back when like financially... The $700 it was going to take me to buy death and taxes on Magic Online was like a cripplingly large financial purchase. And I finally pulled the trigger and I, I streamed to, you know, five or ten people for a long time, mostly like the super in invested D&T bros of, of that age. And like it was fun, but I I definitely ran content at a deficit for a long time between like the cost of buying my deck on Magic Online, the cost of hosting my own website when I wasn't running ads on it or anything like that. I was I was definitely in the red producing content for quite some time. Yeah, same. And uh, before we move on, we're moving into the last 10 minutes of the pod here. We said we were going to talk about Orgish Bowmasters, but we're rolling with this. We can talk about that another time. Uh, we're going to finish out the pod just talking about life as a Magic the Gathering player. The thing Phil just said about streaming to five people, 10 people, I saw somebody, I forget who it was, uh, post some something to give you some perspective where like you look at Mr. Beast, who gets 120 million views in a day, you know, whatever. That's Mr. Beast. Five people watching your stream. If five people just walked up to you and watched what you were doing in real life, that would be a lot of people. If you're like a street performer, if you're ever walking down the street and you see someone like banging on uh, buckets or playing the saxophone or whatever... If 10 people are standing around them, that's a great crowd for what they're doing. 20 people, that's a lot. You get to like 100 people, you've filled a high school auditorium. 500 people, that's like a high school football game. Uh, like I've, I've looked at it and I sell out Madison Square Garden twice a week with my view count. And like, that's crazy to me. And still like 10,000 views on a video is nothing compared to Mr. Beast or Mark Roper. And it's not about being Mr. Beast or Mark Rober. It's just about uh, what am I happy with and are people watching and uh, really, uh, I know a bunch of people who just literally stream for their friends. They have no uh, version of aspirations of being a streamer ever. It's just sort of like, I'm going to boot up the Minecraft game that I've been playing for 12 years and uh, move around and 
build some stuff. And then their five or six friends who may or may not live around them anymore, circling back to friends scattering over the world, at, moving out as adults. Uh, we have the internet and it's just like, I'm playing Minecraft and my five friends I played Minecraft with in high school can watch me do it wherever they are. And we interact in the chat and that is enough for them. And I think that's really cool. I think sometimes, especially when you're smaller, you don't realize the impact that you have on other people's lives. Uh, I'm going to tell a personal anecdote. I'm going I'm to leave the person's name out of it. Um, I think it was two years ago now. I had a student at the end of the year, like walk up to me last day of school and gift me this like very nice framed Elden Ring thing that is hanging in my stream background now. And at the end of the year, they were just like, yeah, Mr. Gallagher, like, you're so cool. Like, you were an inspiration to me. Like, thank you so much for just, like, being that teacher who was, like, comfortable with being nerdy and encouraging me throughout the year. And this kid had, like, never said anything to me all year about, like, how much I meant to him. And I didn't know that until, like, I was never going to see him again. And finally, he just took that moment to say, like, thanks. What you're doing means so much. And like sharing my passion with people inspires other people, gets them fired up. And that that's worth it all. That's worth all that time. It, it is an interesting time we're living in. And I don't want to, you know, be one of a panel of three white guys to talk about representation here. But nerds are a, in history, a, a group that has not been treated well. And we're in a time where marvel is the biggest thing on the planet and star wars you could buy star wars merch at target and lego is very expensive and very trendy and just all the stuff that when we were kids was like ew you like that uh is now the way to go like i i work with kids or i, I did before i became a youtuber but i worked with kids and you got these like nine-year-olds showing up to school like decked out in spider-man gear if I did that, I would have been bullied into the ground. And like I remember uh, my first day of kindergarten, I had Power Ranger shoes on. And somebody with an older brother who had told them Power Rangers isn't cool was just like, ew, you still like Power Rangers? You're a baby. And that was one of my first social interactions after leaving my house as a young child. Right now, if I were wearing Power Ranger shoes, that would be pretty dope. I could own that. And, you know, like Phil just said, being the... 30 something adult authority figure in a role like teaching or a manager at a wherever you work or whatever it is, or just a an elder statesman at the LGS showing up in your Power Ranger shoes and your Adventure Time t shirt or whatever it is you want to represent and just being unapologetically, this is what I'm into. And that's okay. Uh, that does mean something to people who are still in that Magic the Gathering is for nerds phase of their existence brian i hope that somebody one of your fans buys you light up power ranger adult shoes like i want they have to have lights but i want them to light up and i want you to rock them at an event uh aside from that i uh, i am i mean i'm at size 10 or 11 depending on the brand and if anyone wants to facilitate this Bosch and roll stream at gmail.com reach out Aside from that, I have two points I would like to share. Uh, so one, about Phil's story about a student coming up to him. I had the opposite experience in my life, where throughout, the, it was like eighth grade science, the entire year, my professor called me Brant, and the guy was so intimidating, I just never corrected him, and on the last day, I was like, my name's Bryant. He goes, enough joking, Brant, go sit down. And I was just like, so soul-crushed. 
Uh, but I was just like, that taught me a lesson that I need to speak up sooner. I just, I didn't learn that lesson until eighth grade. And then the other thing is Phil mentioned, uh, running articles for a loss with no ads. One thing I would like to drive home here is you should be happy for people that have made it not spiteful. And I think that's something that comes up a lot within content creation in the magic, the gathering community. Like for example, Brian gets a new sponsor. A lot of his fans are like, yes, Brian's getting support. But there are some people out there that are like, great, more ads, this is lame. That's not the way you should think. Like, being overly negative doesn't really get you anywhere. And think about it if you were in their shoes. Like, running Google ads on your site is awesome. That means that you're getting views. Like, that person doesn't have to ask for help to pay for hosting or anything like that. Or ads in their YouTube videos means that they're going to be able to, like, buy dinner or whatever this week. Like, you should be thinking, like, oh, that's sweet for them, good for them. Not just, like, oh, here's 15 seconds of my life wasted or great banner ad on the side. Uh, glass half full will get you a long way. Yeah, we uh, hate to end the pod on, on a rage out, but uh, definitely somebody was having a rough week this week and appeared in both my comments and in Phil's. Basically the interaction was uh, they asked me if I brewed the deck that I won Grand Prix Columbus with. And I was like, Oh, I did a bunch of early work on the shell. And then some people took it this direction. And then team Lotus box discovered you could put Karn in the Urza deck and it really broke it. And the reply was, so no, you didn't brew the deck. I was like, okay, cool. And then I, I was just like the, this person having a tough time. And I sent the screenshot to Phil where apparently the person had also been going off in Phil's comments. And I, I hope that person's dog gets better or whatever's actually wrong with them. But being mad at someone for succeeding in a place where you wish you could succeed is not productive to anyone. And it, it's really only hurting you. Uh, I don't know what to tell you. It's, don't be that guy. Uh, and luckily, because of all of my friendships and interactions and everything over the last 27 years, I am able to know that that's just one weirdo. And magic is actually great. And this community does generally like what I'm up to. So shout out to everybody who I've met over the last 27 years. Even that guy. Uh, we're all part of the ecosystem. Magic is is about the gathering. And sometimes it's not about Orcish Bowmasters. Bowmasters.